A couple of months ago, there was a special election in Texas for a congressional seat that had opened up. I think there were 495 members of, of the House of Representatives in, in Congress. So one of these seats opened up for some reason, and this woman ran on this platform, a God family country, and she won in this district. It would be awesome if every politician in the world had that set of priorities, God, family, country. It would be awesome if every person in the world had that priority, God first, family second, country third. If God's first, then everything else is going to be where it should be. Then everything else is going to receive God's providence to be fulfilled in what it's supposed to be fulfilled how many of us can honestly say that, though, about our priorities in life, that God is number one and our family is number two? I think even for the woman who won that congressional seat, then honestly, God is probably not entirely number one. Making God number one, having a higher priority than our family, is an incredibly difficult thing. It's akin to overcoming sin itself. You say, well... <clears throat> I don't want to be a sinner. But there I am, being a sinner again, daily, being a sinner. Putting God number one in our lives is this lifelong journey. It's not something that's simply uh, a realization that we come to and then a simple fiat by a statement and now it's true. It's something that has to be put into practice every day of our life and, and to keep burning away the dross and the, the will and the other things to make God number one. And to be fair, everyone in heaven, for everyone in purgatory in heaven, God is number one. So even if he's not number one for us right now, he will be when we die and stand before him. Then we will no longer be number one, and our family will no longer be number one, and nothing will be number one except him. All right. I want to walk through some things, some examples from our own lives that might challenge our concept of God being number one and, and maybe kind of putting that right. And making God, more specifically, Jesus Christ, number one in our lives. To keep working on that, but to be aware of the different ways in which we fail Him in that way. And to start putting Him over and above our family in terms of our priorities, because when that happens then our marriages and our families are blessed, and they come to God too. Of the seven precepts of the church, which most of us don't know those seven precepts because for 55 years or more, the popes and the bishops haven't been teaching them, and they've just kind of disappeared from our catechisms. <clears throat> we know hundreds of rules of how to drive a car, and rules of the road and all that, but these seven precepts, these pre, before, sept, like, this is like the seven things that we have to do the seven minimum things that we have to do and to live in order to be possibly a good Catholic. One is attend Mass on Sundays and the Holy Days of Obligation. That would even mean on vacation. But how many of us go on vacation and then don't go to Mass? Because it was inconvenient and it might put out our non-practicing Catholic spouse or our children who no longer practice the faith or that friend that I was visiting and staying at their house and I didn't want to upset them or make things uncomfortable. So God is clearly not number one. Family is number one. I just demonstrated it. I'm on vacation with my family. I'm going to leave God behind. Family is number one. And for the family, they realize that too. Wow, when the chips are down, God is not number one in your life. We are. 
because you demonstrate that every time we go on vacation. So a little, this is how, how you do it. Before the vacation, you tell your family members or friends, I will be going to Mass on Sunday at such and such a place. And then everyone can kind of deal with that, and you can kind of figure it out. There's lots of planning that goes into a vacation. That's just one more thing that gets planned. And then it's not being surprised or sprung on anyone. Everyone knows it, that on Sunday I will be going to Mass at such and such a place. And the internet makes it very easy to find such and such a place. But there is Exhibit A, I think, where God really is number one. Or Exhibit B might even be, this is a precept, but not praying before a meal. Why? Because the family doesn't want to trouble them and bother them. Well, what about God? All right. <clears throat> Receiving Holy Communion at least once a year in a state of grace. To do that, though, we need to make sure we're in a state of grace. That's why another of the precepts is to go to confession at least once a year. A lot of people don't go to confession even once a year. And that, that would be a mortal sin if you've got mortal sin. But to receive Holy Communion at least once a year, but in a state of grace. In other words, we don't have to receive communion every time we go to Mass. We have to go to Mass every Sunday and on the Holy Days of Obligation, but we only have to receive communion once a year. But why in this country does almost everyone who goes to Mass receive communion? Well, because we're ignorant and nobody's told us differently, so we assume that that's part of going to Mass, is receiving communion. But for those of us who know better, there's still a lot of people who get up and go and receive communion, even though they're not in a state of grace. And it begs the question, well, why did I do that? I did that because I didn't want to draw attention to myself. I didn't want to, I just wanted to fit in. Because God wasn't number one. I am, or my family, or what people might think of me is more important than what God might think of me. Fasting and abstinence, eating before mass, etc. The laws of marriage. One of the precepts is to observe the church's laws of matrimony. And that first law is that if you're a Catholic and you decide to get married, you don't have to get married, but if you decide to get married and you're Catholic, you have to marry in the Catholic Church. And if you marry outside of the Catholic Church, then it's not a marriage. That doesn't mean that you don't love one another and all that, but in God's eyes, it's not a marriage. For Catholics have to marry in the church. So if that's your case, then call the office and we'll start working on that. But why wouldn't people know that? Well, again, for 55 years, we haven't heard it. We haven't heard that truth being taught. And maybe that's because some of the shepherds of the church are afraid to put God number one for fear of division, division in the church, etc. So division, I mean, we can point fingers all, all day long. But there is another example. So a family member is Catholic getting married outside the church and you go to the wedding. Well, Jesus wasn't invited. God was explicitly rejected and told to stay over there. We don't, we don't want you for this. Is it, is it God, family, country? Is God first? And these are the things that Jesus speaks about when he speaks about how he come to set the world on fire. I will cause division within families. A family of five, three against two, two against three, father and son against each other, husband and wife against each other. Those who will stand with me will find opposition even within our own families. And Jesus is saying all these things not because he's an ogre. He's saying these things because his heart is an inferno of love. And he wants the whole world conquered to him. He wants everyone to love him 
and to adore him and support him as all the angels and people of heaven do. And oh, how his heart burns for that outcome. But to do that, we've got to overcome ourselves. We've got to overcome our false gods. And our family can become a false god. It, be, it can become an idol. Honestly, it's super hard to put God first, isn't it? I find it's hard for me. Believe me, it's hard for me. It's hard for me to give this homily for fear that there's somebody who thinks, I just got offended and I'm never coming back again. And I don't, I mean, I didn't become a priest to drive anyone away. I became a priest to draw people too. And here's that division thing coming up again. Because God and his love and his truth paradoxically divide. At least on earth, divides. And there was a time before us where it divided the angels too. The hardest part of being a Christian is putting God first. Abraham put to the test with his lone son Isaac. Abraham's now in his 90s. He's only got one child. And God says to Abraham, Abraham, I need you to sacrifice your son. I need you to give him to me. And Abraham takes him up to the top of Mount Zion and is going to sacrifice him. And Abraham's just bawling his eyes out, bawling his eyes out. And God is putting him to the test. Am I number one, Abraham? Or is your son number one? Abraham, in a very supernatural way, this is beyond our nature, in a supernatural way, draws the knife to, to slay his son for God. And an angel of God stops. You pass the test, Abraham. Family is not number one. God is. And God knows that now. Now, Abraham, you will inherit the nations, the stars in the sky, Abraham. And your son Isaac will follow in that inheritance because you put God first. God the Father sent his son to die for us. Wow, that's huge. That's huge that the Father would do what Abraham was ultimately not asked to do. That the Father would follow through and allow the Son to die for you and I. That's extraordinary. So, why do we want to place God first? That, that question. Why would God be placed above family? Well, there's some obvious answers because we want to go to heaven, right? <clears throat> and God, Jesus is the gatekeeper. We all want to go to heaven kind of thing. Okay, all right. But is there something in this life that could be a motivator for that? There is. The reason my family is so important to us is because of love. We love our family. We know how powerful that love is. Any parent falling in love with their newborn baby, oh, that's a love that will, will move mountains. Well, what if that love could be given to our Lord? Do we even know it's possible to love him that much? To love him even more? In my conversion, I I experienced that love, if only sort of a a drop of water that came all over my body. And I knew what love was. There I was experiencing it, but it was God's love for me and my love for him. And I realized I could pursue the priesthood. I could put him above a wife and children everything else because the question or the perspective was wrong 
So instead of the perspective being what I've been saying all along, God first, family second, what if we recognize that God, specifically Jesus, is a member of our family? That he's the head of our family. He's the head of your marriage. The head of your children. The head sibling among siblings. What if he's in the family? And it's not so much a question of family or God that these two things are just opposed to one another, but that they're together. And when we say, I'm not going to do this because that would offend the family, then all we're saying is, I'm going to choose to offend another member of the family, Jesus. And that might offend somebody else in the family whose greater loyalty is to Jesus, the head of the family. And so you get those difficult, difficult things. What if Jesus was the head of the family? That he was in the family? And that when we had the wedding and he wasn't invited, we just recognized that you just told the head of the family that he couldn't come to your wedding. How hurtful would that be to him? How hurtful is that to others in the family who love him? Or think of it like this, that if someone in a family uh, unjustly accuses another of wrongdoing, then we love both, right? We love the person who's been unjustly accused by the family member because they're family, and we love the person who's done the, the unfair accusing too because they're family, But in the end, we can't support the unjust allegation. We have to say to the one who's being unfair and unjust, you're being unfair and you're unjust. This isn't right. Please stop that so that we as a family can be united. Well, Jesus is never wrong. He's never unfair. He's never unjust. He's God, infinitely loving, infinitely good. And so when we decide that he'll have no no part of what it is that I'm doing, no part of my vacation or or my planning of life, or whatever sort of thing, that's unjust, it's unfair, it hurts him. And if we're really going to stand with that head of our family, then we're going to recognize that dynamic, that you've just rejected a family member, and that's not right. He needs to be invited into everything, into absolutely everything. And here's this thing. Is this people will say, well, if I bring up Jesus, if I bring up God, if he becomes clearly number one in our family, etc., then that's going to drive other family members away. It might be the thing that drives them home to heaven. I can assure you that the people who watch us ignore Jesus when it counts will continue to ignore him until they die. But if they watch us take a stand, even when it offends them and divides, etc., then maybe by their deathbed they'll go, you are right, I was wrong. Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then they're going to be saved. It'll be a long and painful purgation, but they will be saved. But because somebody made him number one and stood on that ground and was willing to lose family over it, that they ultimately saved their family. The goal isn't necessarily communion of our families in this life, which is over like that. 
The goal is communion of our families in eternal life, in paradise that will never end. And the way we make that happen or contribute to that is by making the Lord Jesus Christ number one. Number one. And going back to the beginning of my homily, that's a lifelong journey. That's like overcoming sin itself. Dying to self every day to make him number one. To make him number one. But I know this, that if we try, and we keep trying, failures and all, that we'll make progress, that we'll make great progress. And by the end of this life, it will be noted. And it will contribute greatly, not only to our salvation, but the salvation of our loved ones. And our Lord, ultimately, knowing that we're imperfect, can expect and hope for nothing more than our trying. So by the grace of God, try. And try and try again to make Him number one.